Welcome to a Monday episode of Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, and I'm joined today by Matt Groon, another pastor here, and Mark Christensen, one of our deacons, and we are in Exodus 25 through 31, seven chapters. (laughs) That's all we are? That's it? No big deal. Uh, where God reveals to Moses the plans and patterns for the tabernacle. And I'm going to read a section that I read yesterday, Exodus 29, 42 through 46. I think that of all the passages here, all the details matter. It's all important. This really gets at the heart of it, the purpose, the direction of everything else and kind of orients us to why this matters. Um, God says to Moses in Exodus 29, 42, speaking of the sacrifices that would be offered at the, the ordination and the consecration of the priests, he says, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, your involvement with Israel and your intention to dwell among them in this tabernacle that they would... uh, pitch with them in the desert as they wandered around. You have preserved this for us, communicated it to us in your word. And in this, you reveal yourself to us and your desire to dwell with your Mm. people. So we we thank you for this and pray that you would bless this conversation, uh, that we might be affected by the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is very different than a text where we can just sit down, read the whole thing, Mm. pick that apart. In... You know, the sermon yesterday, I'm covering a lot of ground that we haven't read here, uh, touching on all kinds of stuff from this content, the various details and stuff. But I would love to hear, I think it's worth anytime we hear God's word and a sermon preached on that, just to look back and reflect, review, think about, was there something that stood out to you, affected you, challenged you, confused you, whatever. So I'm curious to hear after spending a lot of time last week in these seven mm-hmm. chapters, uh, how this landed on you guys. I think you opened with a good question. Um, just framing what kind of dreams you have, desires do you have, things that you picture in the future, um, places or um, circumstances. And you just ask the question, but is God there? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this case, the people of Israel coming to a place, God bringing them out of Egypt into another place and saying, I will dwell in your midst. That's significant. Mm. God is there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have all these details about how they were to build the tabernacle and all the artistry and the construction that was to go into it. But the distinctive feature was God's presence. Yeah. And you see that theme you know, throughout Scripture from the garden to tabernacle, temple, um, to the church, to then the new heavens, the new yeah. earth. So um, this is a significant theme mm. that we see running throughout all of the Bible. Yes. Yeah, it strikes me, of course, you know, as we, especially as we take such a large block of Exodus, you, you realize uh, this came in kind of a, in line with the rest of the book. And you, like you said, when they were, you know, it opened with the beginning of what's the problem with 
with in Exodus one is they're in God's people are in the wrong land and they are in mm. a desperate place of slavery. And if the goal of the Exodus was simply to get them out of Egypt, that was accomplished fairly easily, fairly quickly. And the question then after they, you know, in Exodus 15, after the song of Moses is okay, now what, where are we going and what's it going to look like? Um, you know, if you just have the book of Exodus, you might not, know that but because we have genesis as well we know the trajectory of god is to mm. to win back his people and to secure for himself a people in a place that dwells with him that that he is in their midst like mark you said they they existed in the garden adam and eve in god's presence and now he's making his way to that but so i just think some of this stuff is so important that it came in the order that it did right. like they had to be saved from Egypt. God could not dwell among them in Egypt. They had to be taken out of Egypt, out of this pagan nation, brought into, brought to himself at, at Sinai. And now here at Sinai, we've kind of parked and he's now giving instructions. First, this big section on the the book of the covenant, he's Mm -hmm. making a covenant with them. He's sealing that, uh, as, as Greg preached, uh, last week about the covenantal ceremony and the process involved in the the book of the covenant and all the stipulations and regulations of how now to live in relationship with this God. But all the while, all the way back in Exodus 3, where God met with Moses, he just said, I will be their God. They will be my people and I will bring them to myself. And here he has at Mount Sinai. And now he's making provision. I'm just not going to dwell on this mountain, but I'm actually going to be in your midst. Mm. Um, and of course, as Ryan, as you pointed out, that, that is a terrifying thought. I mean, you've been around this mountain hearing the voice of God and then say, no more, Moses, you go talk yeah. to him. Exodus 19, there are all these warnings. Don't let anybody even touch yeah. the foot of the mountain or they will die. That's and right. Moses says, okay, I already told him. And God says, tell him again. Yeah, this is dangerous. Being around a holy God is dangerous. Yeah. I and mean, that's why Adam and Eve were kicked out because otherwise they would be consumed by his mm-hmm. holiness. And, and now... All of a sudden, you know, you get all these instructions from the mountain and now this expectation, are you guys going to go? And the thought would be like, oh, okay, well, this is, it's scary out there, but that thing on the mountain's also really scary. Mm-hmm. But now he says, I'm going to be in your midst and here's how. Yeah. So it's just, it's so part and parcel of God to both be acting in word and in deed. He's describing what is going to happen and then making provision and making a way for it to happen exactly as he prescribes. Yeah. Yeah, I think... A couple of questions that I typically ask myself when I preach, when I'm studying a passage to preach it, um, try to just think through what, what does God reveal about himself mm. here and what's the appropriate faith response to God then? And one of the things I'm most affected by in this passage is God's intention to dwell among his people. Mm-hmm. That's God's purpose. And God is the one who's revealing that purpose, revealing the plans for the tabernacle, uh, giving detailed instructions, providing all the materials necessary for mm-hmm. it, making sure that it's accomplished. Like God does everything from beginning to end yeah. to make this so. And, and that really corrects, it should correct for us, misconceptions about uh, a God who's primarily angry, frustrated, distant, um, you know, far removed and just kind of, uh, scoffing at Mm. sinners. You know, he, he is pursuing his people and he's bringing this about. And I think Matt, like you were saying, when you just take, you zoom out and think about the overarching structure of Exodus, the redemption rescue from Egypt is huge. 
the revelation of God's moral law and covenant at Sinai is also significant. One commentator says about this, you really could, it seems like Exodus could end right there after the covenant is ratified mm. at Sinai. Okay, done. But it goes on, over a third of the book is about the tabernacle. Yeah. We're not out of the woods yet here because <laughs> we still have more to go where yeah. there are going to be major chapters still that basically repeat all of this as it's constructed. So huge portion of Exodus is devoted to this tent. It's a big deal. And so that, even that I think is instructive to me that God's moral law, if we ended there, like, okay, you know, the main point of this religion now is be moral people. God saves us so we can be moral. No, he, he saves us and he gives us his, us his law so that we can enjoy his presence. Yeah. So even obedience to God, you know, that that's not the end of it. The, the, where it is all aiming is communion with yeah. God, fellowship with God, enjoying the presence of God, yeah. God dwelling in the midst of his people. Which is a joyful thing. Yes. Yeah, yes. it's not a like you're before a king worried about what this king is going right. to say, but yeah, it's a good thing to be in the presence of yes. God's yeah. blessing. When, when I taught uh, the course seminar, for, seminar a few weeks ago on the presence of God, this is a big deal to, to, to think through. To be in the presence of God, it, what we mean by that here is like the purpose of the covenant, <clears throat> of the covenant relationship with God is for this communion, for this dwelling with one another. And to be in God's presence, you know, it's helpful to make distinctions. We're not talking about his omnipresence, right. his, his everywhere-ness, his, his all presence. We're talking about his, his covenantal blessed presence. He's, yes. he's there and, he, and it's not that uh, terrifying, uh, wrathful judge, like being in the presence of a judge, but rather, I think we said last week, being in the presence of a, of a loving father. Yeah. That's totally different. Right. Um, and that is what Israel's experienced. Everything has been moving towards this as well. Like this covenant, even the purpose of the law and the covenant is to all support the main theme of the presence of God dwelling amongst his people. Because mm-hmm. again, this is a picture of Eden. This is a picture of why did God create the world and why did he build a, a, a temple in Eden and, and a place so that he could dwell with them. And he gave them instructions and he gave them jobs to do. He gave them all these things in order that he could dwell with them and the intimacy by which they, they could walk and talk with him yes. and they could experience his love in that way. And then of course, sin separates and now God's making a way. And all of this, of course, Ryan, you pointed this out. This is all just pointing towards a, a deeper fellowship that we have where now the blood of bulls and goats, you know, which could never satisfy sin have now been paid in, in Christ. And yes. something that stood out to me, Ryan, as you were preaching this on, on your, your point, particularly about God's provision that God not only provided the material to do all this, like the plundering through the plundering of the Egyptians, but even just the workers and the skilled, mm-hmm. like God, I think that applies to our, to us, like, God doesn't just apply or supply provision for a church to run, but some, mm. but he does that also through people with expertise mm-hmm. and, and skills that he's given them. Um, he didn't just drop supplies on them like manna from heaven and say, all right, go build the tabernacle. No, he, he fashioned in his providence men like uh, Ohaliab and uh, what's that? How's yeah, it? Bezalel. Be- Bezalel. Yes. These men who are skilled workers at all that they, at, at this very thing. And so, their commission to go and, and build this thing. So it's just it's just a perfect example in my head of just these many pieces of, right. of the body working together in order to bring about God's purposes. And that has a direct application to, I think, to, to us. Like we cannot function just as, you know, 
as single organisms mm-hmm. or, or totally separate, but all are playing a part in the church and in, in the building up of one another and strengthening of one another through various gifts and skill sets. Um, so that was just stru- that, that stuck out to me. I had, I don't think I'd ever I mean, I'd read this before. I thought, mm-hmm. Oh, look at that. Cool. God provides two guys to, to help do this, but just <laughs> see that as a broader provision of God to again, make a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's strike. It's striking that yeah. nobody in Egypt or nobody in Israel could say like, God doesn't love me. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to be near me. He doesn't, you know, he's so distant, he's far away. Nobody at Sinai could say that because God is there and he is making every, he's making a way for it to be executed. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's important. And I think specifically to God's commitment to seeing his own purposes fulfilled, um, whether it's providing what they needed or just the fact that his purpose was always to always dwell with his people. And so mm-hmm. in the garden, the purpose there was that these borders of the garden would extend throughout the whole earth mm-hmm. as Adam worked and kept the ground and as Eden was fruitful and made things beautiful yeah. uh, in the earth. But then obviously, as you said, Matt, sin enters the picture. And so God is still committed to his purpose here. And we see that in, he says, okay, I'm going to establish my presence with you once again, mm-hmm. um, specifically in this, in another redemptive uh, epoch in the story. And so later on, we get that the same thing with, establishment of the church, God giving his spirit to his people. Um, and we'll see that again, in the new heavens and the new earth when finally God's, um, purposes is fulfilled. And there's a great article by GK Beale that, um, really outlines this very well. And just want to read a short paragraph from it. Um, he says, we're going to continue the priestly task of mediating God's presence to others until the end of the age when God will cause the task to be completed the whole earth will be under the roof of God's temple, which is none other than saying that God's presence will fill the earth in a way it never had before. Yeah. Um, so that's what we have to look forward to. And God being the one who's committed to that, we get to join in yeah. with him. I, I just think of, you know, putting myself in the shoes of the Israelites, standing around this mountain and the fire on the mountain and this booming voice. And um, remember just last week we heard about how the, the elders of the, of the, of Israel went up and saw the feet of God and, and ate with him and dwelt with him. How terrifying and majestic that would be. And then to be told, Oh, he's going to be moving in. He's going to be mm-hmm. coming into the center of the, of the camp uh, is just mind boggling. And mm-hmm. then we know the story of redemptive history, you know, it all, this is all well and good and it's mobile for now. And then King Solomon builds one and it gets destroyed because mm-hmm. the people don't uphold their end of the bar of the, of the covenant. And then it gets rebuilt kind of and inherit and, and so forth. And, and then you get to Christ and then you get to John one where he says, and we, and the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that word dwelt is the same Hebrew or the same Greek word for the, for the Hebrew word for tabernacle. Mm-hmm. He, he tabernacled among us. Jesus is the fulfillment mm-hmm. of the temple. He mm-hmm. is, that's why when he's, he can look at the the temple in, in, in the book of Matthew and say like, I'm going to tear this down and I'm going to rebuild it. And he was talking about his body. He's going to rebuild the temple in him so that in union with him, we are now part of that temple in which now the spirit dwells. Mm-hmm. So it's just all the imagery that goes throughout the entire book of Exodus here on the tabernacle all is pointing to and weaving to and making a way for Christ now to secure for himself an actual people mm-hmm. um, united to him by faith and are being built up and strengthened uh, in the church, in his, in 
which he also attributes to a, a building, uh, this that you are blocks of this building, and then God being the chief architect, and he's building a city. Yeah. Where in the garden it was a garden, which is like raw material and raw everything, and you're just looking forward to the harvest. God's building, going to build in the new heavens and the new earth. Because of Christ, he's building a city mm. uh, where there's industry and, and, and so forth. So it's just, it's really beautiful. And it's, it's all taking place right here in yeah. the book of Exodus. Yeah. There's a commentator who said uh, the tabernacle really is the Old Testament idea of incarnation. It's yeah. where incarnation is first introduced. Yeah. God's glory on the mountain is impressive, but when God announces that glory is going to move into the camp and be located in a tent mm. made out of, you know, ramskins and linens and gold and wood and material things. God's glory is going to be manifested yeah. there. That is foreshadowing ultimately, like you said, the incarnation of the glory of God in Christ. We have yeah. seen his glory, the glory as of the only father. Yeah. Maybe not, maybe not incarnate because you know, that means to be in flesh, right. but more, you know, with present, the present, more localized, materialized, yes. if you will, more yeah. actualized. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's not the same as the incarnation right. in Christ, but points forward to that. But God, those, God is going to, but you consider come. those differences. Aren't those amazing? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, this is, this tabernacle is incredible and it is kind of a materialization, you know, saying that in like a reverent way, Yes. not, you know, just saying God is like the golden calf, no. but rather, which we're going to get to, but a materialized, tangible earthiness. Yeah of the presence of God. And then you get to Christ who not only took that on in like a material wooden sense, but in a fleshly, like, could he be more near to us right. than that? Could he be flesh more present blood. with us than to actually take Walked on our flesh and blood? Yeah. 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 No, that's incredible. And appeared in heaven, uh, in God's presence on our behalf. Yes. Uh, dealing with sins, atoning for sins so that we could be in God's presence ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, you were making the point earlier, Mark, God's presence, but not his terrifying presence. Right. And you said, Matt, um, his covenantal presence to bless. It's a blessing. So that's why all the imagery of the tabernacle that reflects Eden is important. Like this is a mini Garden of Eden. This mm-hmm. is a mini paradise where God first dwelt with man. And it's a reminder that's still his purpose. And it's pointing forward to something even better that's coming, not just Eden, but Eden expanded, filling the world. So when you get to Revelation 21 and John sees the angel measuring the new Jerusalem, the measurements are massive and ridiculous, but the the new Jerusalem is described as a cube. And I think it's 12,000 stadia, which comes out to like 1,300 miles. miles. And you imagine a city 1,300 miles high you know, outer space is considered to be 50 to 60 miles high. So <laughs> 1,300 <laughs> miles high, you are reaching way out into outer space. The point is, it's symbolic measurements, not literally a city 1,300 miles high. But the symbolism is massive, and it's a cube, just like the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. And in right. Solomon's temple, the Holy of Holies was also a perfect cube. So the New Jerusalem, and it's pure gold, everything inside the tabernacle was covered yeah. in pure gold. All that imagery in Revelation 21 is should be evoking memory of the tabernacle. All mm-hmm. of the jewels described as the foundations of the city of the New Jerusalem are the jewels found in the tabernacle on the priest's breastpiece of judgment. Mm-hmm. So it's just evoking all of that like, oh, okay, so that's where the story's going. God is going to dwell with us forever. And that's exactly what 
John hears this loud voice thundering from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling of God is with man. Good. Yeah, and, and you said it's, it's a mini Eden, but it's it's mobile. Right. It, meaning, like Eden was a location, a physical, here is where God's presence dwelt, right here. But now, it we have the first taste, and now, of course, when we get to Israel, there is going to be a temple that isn't mobile, right? But this 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 the fact that god's presence can be mobile in mm-hmm. a sense it's it highlights that the distinguishing feature isn't the material right. isn't the location mm-hmm. isn't the land isn't all it, but it's because god's presence is seen fit to dwell there yeah. mm-hmm. that's the distinguishing thing mm-hmm. so that when jesus comes on the scene it's able to move from the temple to him mm-hmm. the the, ter- the curtain can actually tear and god's presence be poured out among all nations of anybody who believes because god's presence is the distinguishing feature. It's not that that this this wood, this you know, this these golden curtains and all the rest are are the thing that produce this like magical right. presence of God, but rather God is dwelling amongst them and He's making provision for it. And it's in that that the blessing comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. And you referenced um, New Testament texts that talk about God now dwells in the the church by his spirit and we are living stones that are being built together so the material so to speak um where god manifests his presence is believers if you had been an israelite back then and you go to the tabernacle you would see this tent set up you would see the screen around the courtyard you would see the bronze altar and the bronze basin there Uh, now when you come to the place where god manifests his presence what you see is other believers Mm. that that's the physical experience we see other believers we are the living stones being joined together into the place where god dwells by his spirit Mm -hmm. and i i think there's a a potentially a danger to think well that the tabernacle would have been better and more impressive yeah someplace i could have gone some right inspired reverence inspired all these other things yes totally there's a temptation there but if you had been the high priest because he was the only one allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the day of atonement. And if you had been the high priest on the day of atonement, when you get to go behind that curtain and not die, (laughs) you would not have seen the form of God Mm. there. Um, The ark is described as God's footstool. So you still have the sense of God's presence is in the highest heavens. Mm. He still remains invisible. The invisible God is manifesting something of his glory in these physical things that are reflections of the place where his presence dwelt. But really, again, it is not about the seeing a form, but where God makes his presence known through blessing his people. Um, and, and that's what we have every Lord's day when we gather with yeah. the church where the word of God is preached, where the spirit really does move among us and, and God is pleased to bless his people and build our faith and, give us that experience of his nearness to us. I, I think yeah, that, that's something I've just been meditating on this last week in reading these, these passages and thinking what, what is the application for us that um, we long for a day when God's glory fills the world in a way that like you read Mark from that quote from GK Beale um, that we, we can't even imagine right now mm-hmm. and there is no more sin and there's no more death and it's all, it's all finished and complete and yet what we have through the, the outpouring of the Spirit and through the new covenant body of Christ is a real experience of, of the presence of God. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Wow. 
there's so much here. (laughs) (laughs) So many things we didn't even get to. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But it is, I think it's a fascinating and rewarding study. Anybody who wants to sit down and and read through these passages, uh, I pull out a resource like the ESV study Bible. There's some great diagrams in there and some helpful study notes and just things. It, It is because it's such a physical, visible thing. Uh, having a diagram of it really does help picture it. You yes. know, when you, when you just read it, it can be very confusing, but when you read it with a, an artist portrayal, like here's kind of what it looks like and you go, Oh, okay. I, I see what I'm reading now. That, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's worth digging into those details, the, the parallels between Mount Sinai and the layout of the tabernacle and the structure of the universe itself is, is an incredible thing. Kind of these three layered outer courtyard, mm-hmm. holy place, the, the most holy place. There's just a ton of stuff that the, each of the furnishings within the tabernacle and, and what those symbolize and, and what they meant. So I encourage people to dig in. There's more. a couple, there's a couple of resources um, yeah. that I recommend that one would be Mark Red from author GK Beale, uh, probably his book. Uh, the Temple and the Church's Mission, A Biblical Theology of the Dwelling Place of God. That would mm-hmm. be a great resource. Um, to, it's a big book, as yeah. all of Beals's are, but it, it, it's, <laughs> it, it, he particularly is a, is a really trusted source as far as this same idea of how, how God's presence actually is a, it goes throughout the entirety of redemptive yes. history, yes. not just here. Um, uh, Peter Reading Le- Beale changed my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, Change the way I read scripture. Help me to see, oh, these are patterns that repeat yes. all the way through the Bible. Yeah, he's a trusted guide. He's just, he, he's helpful in helping to draw conclusions and draw connections that you would have never seen. Um, Peter Lightheart's A House for My Name, which is a survey of the entire Old Testament. But it that that quote, A House for My Name, it comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, where uh, David is is pleading to God to let him build the temple. And he says, no, your son will. And he referencing though a greater son, another one of your sons, namely Jesus will build a house for my name that I might be able to dwell with you in a Mm -hmm. real way. So Mm -hmm. that's a really good way of of reading the entire old Testament pointing to Christ, uh, through that lens. Um, there's just a bunch of really good biblical theology resources on the temple and the dwelling place of God. Yeah. Someone wants that. It's a shorter article that I read from. So if someone wants that, be happy to share that. Reach out to Mark. Excellent. Thank you guys.